In an instant, things can turn around for the good. Hear a great example of that today on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. We've all seen power and wealth used for evil and to hurt others. But today on Abounding Grace, we'll see how David used his power and wealth to bless others. This is just part of our continuing study of 2 Samuel. We'll be in chapter 9 today, and we'd invite you to join us there as we see power on display in a unique and godly way. It's also a reminder of the love and faithfulness of Jesus. Here's our teacher, Ed Taylor. David becomes a type of the glorious, beautiful, wonderful Heavenly Father that we have, seeking the lost, showing kindness and love and grace, giving to Mephibosheth what he doesn't deserve, extending to him a gracious hand. Why? Because of his covenant, because of his promise. His covenantal love is moving him now to send a messenger. And he's doing it, why? On behalf of Jonathan, And as God the Father looks to us, we have an advocate. Jonathan becomes a picture and a type of who? Jesus. And God, when he sends a messenger to us, he sends the messenger on behalf of Jesus, the true and righteous one, the one that through Jesus comes the covenant of grace, the new covenant. We see Jesus coming from God to seek and save that which was lost. And we see God reaching out to lost mankind, drawing them to himself, saying, don't be afraid, I will show you kindness. I will restore to you that which has been lost. A beautiful picture of God's love for us in Christ with Mephibosheth here. It's all done for us for Christ's sake. On behalf of Jesus, God forgave my sins. Why? Because of what Jesus has done. For Jesus' sake, God called me to be his child. For the sake of Jesus Christ, I can come and sit at the table of God and feast with him continually. Why? Because of what he has done. And there's no need to be fearful. Just come. Isn't it true, though, that so many times people misunderstand God? They have a wrong concept of God. They misread him, thinking that God is angry. Maybe that's you. You and your view, you grew up in an angry home, you grew up in an angry religion, and your view of God is he's just always mad at me. I'll declare to you that Jesus Christ took the wrath of God upon himself. And because of what Jesus has done, I can say, God is not mad at you. He loves you. And in Christ, he's pleased with you. Maybe you think that God's always wanting to judge you and condemn you and destroy and ruin your life. But if truth be told, you've done a great job of destroying and judging and condemning and ruining your own life without anything, without God's help at all. You've turned your back on God and God has allowed you to make the decisions that you want to make and he's given you the freedom. He he has allowed you to rebel and to resist. He's given you the gift of life and he gives you the very breath in your life. He sustains your life. 
It's not God that's destroyed your life, nor is it God that desires to destroy your life. He calls you like Mephibosheth, and he says, I want to show kindness to you. There's a higher level of living available to you. I've got so much for you that if you'll just come and humble yourself, and so what does he say? Man, what, what is it about this? Why, why, are you, why would you look down on me? I don't deserve it. And the answer would be true. You don't deserve it. But God in gracious love gives us that which we don't deserve. All that God does and all that God has given us is for Jesus' sake. That's why so often when we pray, we should say, Father, for Jesus' sake, in Jesus' name. This is for him and his glory because that's the entrance, that's the opening. It's for Jesus' sake. It's not for my sake. It's for Jesus' glory. It's not for my glory. It's for the fame and the, the, the glory of God, not for the fame and the glory of you or me. It's not what I deserve. And every day I'm reminded it's still not what I deserve. <laughs> it's still not. Some of us have to live very, very close to the day that we got saved. We can never forget where we came from. You can never forget. Maybe you, you don't have a testimony like mine, and, and that's it's great. You grew up in a godly home. That's great. You remember where you came from. God put you in that godly home. What a blessing that is, that you would have parents that would do devos with you and take you to church and, and bring you, man. What a testimony. But you didn't deserve that. That was God's grace. And, of course, if you do have a past like me and so many others, I can, I mean, of all the memories I've lost, I haven't lost the first time I walked into that church. And I certainly haven't lost the memory of the day that in Calvary Chapel and Downey, I walked down at the third altar call. Thank you, Pastor Jeff, for the third altar call. It was just for me. I didn't deserve him to go three times that night. But God knew I was there. And he knew the timing of my life. And I remember how I walked into that church. And I remember how I walked out. And I remember how I came back and how I walked out. The Lord preserves us. God calls us to himself. He's the one that shows kindness. And we don't deserve today any more than we deserved when we got saved. It's his sustaining power. And I would never want to come to God on the basis of my own works. Can you imagine? Have you ever prayed? I doubt that you have, but have you ever prayed, God, just give me what I deserve? What a prayer that would be. I, even as believers, you know, if you had a bad day at work, you know, sin, the wages of sin is death. I don't want what I deserve. I come to you on the basis of your work, Jesus. I come to you on the basis of your grace. I come to you, this is a beautiful picture, because you called me. You told me to come, so I've come. You're offering me food at your table. I eat your food graciously and gratefully. I recognize, why would you show this to a dead dog like me? Who am I, Lord, that you would be so gracious to me? But when I come, I come in Jesus' name. And I ask for his grace. And I love that work of restoration that, that work that God, he, that's the work of Christ. He restores. That's always the work of God. Reconciling and restoring all that the enemy has stolen. All that we have willingly thrown away. God wants to restore to you. Let me show you this verse. This is a verse that God 
gave me very early on in Joel chapter 2, verse 25. If you want to turn there with me, uh, you can. I'll read it to you if you don't. But this restoration, after, ex- after experiencing the consequences of sin and judgment, God gives a promise. It's all throughout the scriptures. God gives a promise. And he speaks in verse 25. He says, I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the crawling locust, the consuming locust, the chewing locust, all of them are a beautiful picture. We don't have time to develop it of the different ways life is lost, thrown away. The great army which I sent among you, and you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dwelt, or excuse me, dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never be put to shame Then you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord your God and there is no other. My people shall never be put to shame. And here, the very next section is the section that was quoted on the day of Pentecost when Peter saw and experienced the outpouring of the Holy Spirit where it got all everyone's attention and he took the opportunity to preach that message. And then notice, that not only am I going to do the restoring work, not only are the years that you lost are, are going to be brought back. And, 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 and know this, when you think of the restoring of the years, it's not like you're going to get all those years back. We aren't going to go be able to go back and say, well, I'll recover 1980 such and I'll get that. It's not that. God doesn't do that work. And so go, well, what do you mean, Ed? Then what does it mean? Well, what was destroyed by the locusts? The fruitfulness of the land. And in the restoring work of God, God is going to bring an overabundance of fruitfulness, both what you get now and a restoration of all the fruitfulness that was lost. So you get it all at the same time, at various times. Not only that, not only do you get to experience a tremendous amount of fruitfulness in your life, you know, you might have lived your life and just destroyed it and hurt people and you were a drain on society, but now as a believer, God is multiplying the ability that he has given you to bless people and restore fruit from your life. What fruit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. That's the fruit of the Spirit. And not only that, he says, and it will come to pass afterward that I'll pour out my Spirit on you, on all flesh. And your kids will be blessed. And your daughters will be blessed because they'll start to prophesy. Your old men are going to dream dreams. The young men are going to see visions. And on my men servants, my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. God loves to restore. Men and women can destroy their lives, can mess up their bodies, can wreak havoc in their families, but God can restore. And Mephibosheth's answer in verse 8 is that humble response to the initiation of God's grace in his life. Who am I? Who am I? It's an overwhelming, who am I to receive the blessings of God? Who are you? Who who are we? Uh, Let me show you something. Go over to Romans chapter 8 with me. Because there's a series of questions that Paul answers or asks that are so powerful. They fit together with this section here of Mephibosheth and the grace of God. Who am I? Who am I to deserve all this? And then notice how God describes it here in Romans chapter 8. Pick up with me in verse 31. Paul is in a similar place. 
As he's writing the letter to the Romans, he's becoming overwhelmed as he's describing the grace of God and the faithfulness of God. And by the time he gets to chapter 8 at the end, he says, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It's God that justifies. Who is he who condemns? It's Christ who died and furthermore is also risen and who is even at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Let's look at some of the questions he asked. Very similar to the heart of Mephibosheth. If God be for me, who's going to be against me? He's been so good to me. Secondly, how shall he not freely give us all things to enjoy the abundance of the table? The third question, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Now, a lot of people try, but that really isn't true. Nobody's going to bring a charge against God's elect because you're God's elect. You're, that's another fancy word for you're God's chosen. He called you. He said, come to him. And you did. Number four, the question he says, who is he who condemns? Well, we know who the one that condemns. The devil is both the accuser of the brethren and the author of condemnation. Then he says, who's going to separate us from the love of God? But I saved the first question. You guys are reading carefully. I saved the first question for last. Because after you begin to think of the blessed relationship that we have with God through Jesus Christ, then what do, we, what do we say? Like he opens up. What shall we say to these things? What are we going to say to all this? What can we say but thank you, Lord? You're so good to us. You're so faithful. What you've done in the past reminds me of what you're going to do in the future. We don't know what to say to these things at times. They overwhelm us. We don't have any words to say at times. Our vocabulary feels so limited. We just say the word wow. What kind of word is that? Wow. Like we don't even, like, whoa, man. Like we don't even have the words. I feel like you get speechless. You feel like you don't have enough words in the English language as you're overwhelmed by the love of God and his graciousness. You're just like, wow, Lord, wow. We say wow, we often don't even know what else to say. It's like, wow. It's just a word of awe and wonder. That's Mephibosheth. And that's you and me. Verse 9. And the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I've given you your master's son, all that belonged to Saul and to all his house. You, therefore, and your sons and your servants shall work the land for him, and you shall bring in the harvest that your master's son may have food to eat, but Mephibosheth, your master's son, shall eat bread at my table always. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants, and he said to the king, According to all that my lord the king has commanded his servants, so will your servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah, or Micah, and all who dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants of Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he ate continually at the king's table, and he was lame in both his feet. Ziba is in a place of obedience here. He is really 
not doing this out of the goodness of his heart as things have been quickly flipped around in his house. At once, Mephibosheth was completely dependent upon him and now all his house is going to work for Mephibosheth. It's going to take care of things on his behalf. We'll see later, and just jot it down, as we get later on in our study, we'll see Ziba and how he turns on David when Absalom, his son, rebels. And by the way, if you want to read ahead, just get ahead. And from Absalom, we're going to learn that through crisis and difficulty, a lot of people's hearts are revealed. And that's why with Ziba, if you look at him now, you go, oh man, what a great guy. Actually, he's not. We know the full story. But God knew the story in his heart right here. It's pretty sad on many fronts, but that's the way it is. And as we close, I was just looking and thinking of verse 13, of all the good stuff that uh, has happened in Mephibosheth's life, all the change of events, how things can change in just a moment, in an instant. We often refer to that. I often use that to describe how things can be really difficult in a moment, an email, phone call, a situation happens, and, and in an instant, your whole life can be flipped upside down. But you know what, guys? It works the other way, too. <laughs> in an instant, things can flip around for the good. God can just do, man, Mephibosheth is doing whatever he was doing, and it's time to come. The king wants you. What? Yeah, the king wants you. And what he thought was going to be a horrible thing actually turned out to be the best thing that ever happened in his life. And he's still lame, though. All this has happened to him, and how does the chapter end? Oh, by the way, he's lame. He's still lame. When he came to David's table, could he walk straight? Could he walk at all? No. He came to the table, still lame in both his feet. He was still affected by the sin of the fall, by the practicality of being dropped in his physical body. And you think, why is that? Well, when Jesus tells us to come and dine, we may, and as communion, so we share communion together, it's not passed out to you. You need to be prompted by the Holy Spirit as a believer in Jesus Christ to get the elements yourself here when we do it together in our evening services. And I, I suspect that one or two of you decided against partaking of communion tonight for the very same reasons that Mephibosheth could have. He could have said, I'm lame. I can't come. I can't walk straight. I don't have my life together. I still am a mess in many ways. I stumble and fall with my mouth and with my actions, and, and I don't want to come to the table. But God calls us to the table and he calls us as we are. He says, come just like you are. Come with your lame feet and your broken lives. Come with the condition of your life today. He calls us just as we are to come and dine with him. He calls you in the state that you're in to receive the grace and abundance that he has for you. The table is set. And the table really is the only place where lame, twisted, crippled feet can't be seen. They're under the table. You don't see that. And under the blood of Jesus Christ, as he's working in you, as he's developing you, as he's changing you from glory to glory and strength to strength into the image of Jesus Christ, 
you bring that and God, he covers that. Why? Because love covers a multitude of sins. You're still lame. Nobody's excusing sin. Nobody's approving of it. At the table, God doesn't say, oh, that's okay, we'll hide that. It's not hidden. It's still known, but it's covered and it's touched. Are you burdened today? Because you have a bad habit of always looking at your flaws and your shortcomings, of always talking about your lame feet and your bad breath, perhaps, <laughs> and your attitude. Or are you the one that learn, has learned to be blessed as you partake of the abundance of grace and mercy at the king's table? And you come as you are. I understand that in a very real way, some of us, some of you have been dropped very brutally as Mephibosheth did. And it's caused long enduring pain in your life. But you have to understand that you don't have to remain in your lame condition day after day, week after week, month after month, because Jesus was broken that you might be healed. His blood was shed to wash away the sin and the memories that haunt you. Come and dine and you'll find yourself back in the land where you perhaps once were or longed to be. I don't know which of those of you that were listening to the radio broadcast today at four o'clock, but in the second half of the show, maybe you're even here tonight or you're listening in. Well, you can't, you're down in the springs, but John called. Did you guys hear John? His story was, well, it's a familiar one. He, I used to, he started out saying he used to be a Christian, but he strayed away and he got into witchcraft and all kinds of stuff. But today was the day where his heart was beating and his question was simple. He asked me, and what a privilege to be able to talk to him. He asked me if he could come back to God. He said, can I come back to God? And I said, well, if you mean can you come back, if you mean by can, that will God receive you and accept you, the answer is yes. You can come back. And if you mean that by can, that you are able to do it, I said, well, look, John, you called the radio, you called a Christian radio show to ask a question about your soul. Yeah, I think you can. He says, well, what do I do? And I said, well, just pray and come back. Just say whatever's on your mind. And it was one of the sweetest, because you could tell he's an older guy. It was one of the sweetest, most powerful prayers that I've heard in some time. And I believe God heard that prayer. And I'm just praying. I just hope that he goes and plugs in down at Rocky Mountain, like I told him, that he meets the pastors there and that he's embraced with the love of God. Listen, in many ways, the story of John can be our story in smaller ways. And you're thinking today, can I? Hey, look, if you mean by can, will God receive you and accept you by the blood of Jesus Christ? Yes. Can I, Ed? Well, if you mean can, if you're actually even thinking about coming back to the Lord, the answer is yes. No matter how far we've strayed or what our past may look like, we can come back to the Lord and He'll welcome us with open arms. 
That's just how good and gracious our God is. Thanks for listening to Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. Are you interested in a CD copy of this message? We can send that your way for $2 if you call toll-free 877-30-GRACE. Again, that's 877-304-7223. For instant access, look for the studies online at calvaryaurora.org. Another way to listen to Ed's teachings is through the Calvary Aurora app. Search for Calvary Aurora. And while you're at it, download the Grace FM Colorado app. This is a great way to grow on the go. Wouldn't you like to experience revival and power in your life? Well, we picked out an excellent book this month that can help you get on that road. It's The Calvary Road by Roy Hessian. This classic book has helped millions experience personal revival with Jesus Christ. When you give a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace, you're invited to request a copy of The Calvary Road. Give us a call at 877-30-GRACE or make a secure donation online at calvaryaurora.org. And those that prefer to write, here's our mailing address, Abounding Grace, Post Office Box 460598, Aurora, Colorado, 80046. Don't miss our next study with Pastor Ed Taylor tomorrow on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Chapel, Aurora.